Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Episode 30, The Painful Past Informs Us. Hello, everyone. Wow, it's amazing how so many of us are listening together. You must be telling all your friends. Well, here's a big shout out to you. And I have some exciting news to share with you. In a couple of episodes from now, we will be ending season one and beginning season two. Keep listening. And at the end of this episode, I will go into a little more detail about this. I've also heard so many responses to last week's episode about mediation. Some of you said you wished you had had a mediation like that after a difficult experience in your life. Some of you said it was an incredible mediation. While some others of you have asked if what happened in the episode was really a mediation at all. I thought I'd take some time here to explain further So hang on, and we'll explore some of that in this episode, because it wasn't over. Shout out to all mediators, and especially those who have taken the extra interest to become trauma-healing-informed. Gosh, does that background ever enrich our lives and our effectiveness as professionals, not just mediators? Come join us in one of our trainings at Baltimore Mediation. You can find our trainings online at www.baltimoremediation.com. Maybe you will experience mediation like Billy and I did and then become a mediator yourself or what I call a little M mediator where you get the training in the relational skill set and use it all the time in your daily life. Everything we learn impacts us, doesn't it? Okay, so sit back, take a breath, wherever you are on your walk, driving, doing dishes, or lying in bed. And here we go. August 11th. Day seven, life can change in the blink of an eye. It was a day of rest. That is what Billy and I told friends and family. We had carved out a precious pause for our mediation. The kids took over most of the day for us alternating at the hospital bedside. (laughs) You know, I just realized I've never asked them what that was like for them, knowing their parents were meeting with a mediator in Cape May. Mediation. 
Some mediators say mediation is about the future. I suppose that is why it is so appealing to people who want to get out of a bad situation and move on. I want it over. Get me out of this, is what I have often heard people say. Who wants to stay stuck in what is uncomfortable? And who wants to revisit the past that is painful, even ugly? Many mediators are so future-focused and settlement-oriented that they promise they will prevent at all costs the clients from revisiting the past. After all, isn't the past the place of no man's land? Rehash over and over. Who wants to stay stuck in that? But when Billy texted me, we need a mediator. None of that is what crossed my mind. But you may have been as surprised as I was that Billy told me that that was what we needed. Oh, yes, I was surprised that my husband of 32 years had sent me that text while we were struggling so hard to take care of Archer in the ICU and to juggle so much. And we were passing like ships in the night, trying to hold it together. We needed a mediator? Why? I know that might sound kind of crazy that I was shocked. Would you have thought to call upon a mediator in a time like this? I think I was surprised because most people do not think of calling upon a mediator when they are in trouble. Most people don't, <laughs> at least not yet. But of those who do think of using a mediator, it's usually because they want to avoid the expense of lawyers and litigation. Or they were told to because it's in a contract or because it's standard for them to come and expect a mediator to beat on them to settle a case. I have seen a much more sophisticated approach by more experienced people and lawyers who use the mediation process hoping to avoid the acrimony and adversarial nature of litigation too, and to figure out a creative solution. But by and large, what most people think of when they think of using a mediation is when you're ordered to by a court or you don't have much money to pay for lawyers or at the opposite end of the spectrum, you are very sophisticated at what is at stake. You know it's very complex and you want to stay in control of your finances. Yep, things like real estate closings, business partnership breakups, employment matters, family business, custody, divorce. That's been our bread and butter work. Maybe that was why I was so taken aback at Billy's text. Was I so out of it that I missed that our marriage was at stake? It was true. 
I felt like a bucket of cold water had been thrown on me. And then that every part of my body felt like it was on fire when I read that text. Well, you know now from episode 29 how that mediation went. But I got to tell you, today, five years plus later, and after so much water under the bridge, I have pondered how it was that Billy, not I, suggested this. You see, as a transformative mediator, I was used to other people's shit shows. I was used to other people's chaos. And when lawyers were involved, I was used to other people's positional bargaining, posturing, puffing up, even lying, and all other sorts of things lawyers do when they posture and negotiate. Both the gladiators <laughs> and many of the tired old school workhorse litigators. But when it was just the clients, or the clients and thoughtful, smart lawyers trying to settle complicated stuff. Yeah, it was hard, but it was satisfying to work hard with them through their doubts and uncertainty and messiness, giving them a dialogue process so they could figure it out, not I. I was used to following their conversations, listening deeply for what mattered most to them, as well as what was new or might be heard in a new way if I highlighted it for them. And I was used to witnessing shifts, shifts in their thinking and their discernment and their problem solving even when they had said they had no expectation of making any headway when we began. <laughs> People do remarkable things when given the chance. So why was I so lit up with every cell in my being on fire when Billy told me we needed a mediator? Well, the night before our mediation, while I was still at the hospital with Archer, and while Archer rested, that I found my mind very distracted by our upcoming mediation. It caused my thoughts to wander all over the place in the relative calm of the night. I couldn't believe it had already been a week in the ICU. It still felt like yesterday, only a moment ago, when I got the call about Archer's injury. But in this long moment, so much of my life has flashed before me. We were mediating in just a few hours. It had been only seven days since Archer's injury. So much unfolds. I pondered whether I would share this with you or not, but since we have another session coming up in about a week before this season ends, 
I decided I would. At the risk of your thinking I am weak. <laughs> That's often what people fear others will think when they resort to a mediation process. But I've decided to tell you, hopefully, out of strength. And yes, with a little vulnerability. But we are in this together, right? Okay. Billy's in my mediation on day seven of the Archer crisis wasn't the first time we had called upon the mediation process to help us over the years and decades of our marriage. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't. I thought telling you might also help to answer some of your questions. As a mediator myself, and a transformative mediation trainer for many years. I've always believed you have to walk your talk. Even in the most personal and sacred of all my relationships, my marriage, I knew I needed to walk mine. I believe deeply in the capacity of people and that conflict presents opportunities for personal growth. I do. And not just as lip service. I have had the incredible privilege of witnessing thousands of clients in my now almost three decades of practice who said and did remarkable things when given the chance through a dialogue process. It really is amazing that when the focus is on personal strength and opportunities for better understanding, while remaining neutral to what they decide, deeper understanding and ways to be responsive to each other or the other side, if there are sides, naturally emerge. They do. Yes, amazing, remarkable things do happen in transformative mediation. So in this approach to mediation that we take, it's all about face-to-face -face dialogue. That means the mediator doesn't separate people. Indeed, the mediator helps people talk with each other because that is where all the opportunities for conflict transformation are. It isn't about people talking to the mediator. No, it's the mediator encouraging them to talk with each other. It's true. It's so simple and so profound. <laughs> I've always said it's counter egoic. You know what I mean? Our egos want people to talk to us. As a transformative mediator, we also encourage and welcome their talking about whatever they want, whatever they believe is important. Yeah, that's the neutrality part. The mediator helps them get clear about what that is or what to say and how to say it and how to be responsive. And something that's really neat about what a transformative mediator does, 
Well, because they're trained in relational conflict theory, so they understand why they should not do some things, they never force progress. They never manipulate agreements. They never supplant decisions. And they never lean towards one person over the other. Or even lean towards happy reunions or even kumbaya. That might surprise you, huh? I wonder if it does. Well, that is what is so revolutionary about the approach. Yep, that's how transformative mediation is different from other mediator orientations. It's neither better or worse than other kinds of mediation. It's just different. And it's radically different. Yeah, we take being neutral about whatever they decide seriously. And it produces radically different outcomes. <laughs> I remember the first time when I bit the bullet to call upon a mediator to help Billy and me. Well, that's how I felt about it back then. As I reached out for help, I swallowed my pride and admitted that the great communicators sometimes need help communicating. Have you ever had those kinds of chapters in your marriage? You really don't know if it's over or if you'll make it. And well, for Billy and for me, it wasn't really about that as we both deeply believe in marriage, but we were really stuck. So when all else fails, call the transformative mediator, right? There were actually two times when Billy and I availed ourselves of the transformative mediation process. One was when I was pregnant with our fifth child. We had so much stuff going on in our lives and we had one very unresolved issue between us. And I was totally bewildered that our baby would be impacted by this conflict that seemed to not be going away. The other time, our mediation was over something Catholic. It's too long a story for now. Maybe later. Or maybe never. I will tell you that even in a very intact marriage, when you're not on the same page about things and you don't take the time to talk through things, you can begin to feel distant from each other. You know that. It's an insidious thing in marriages, though. I was on alert to not have that happen to us, since I knew those stories by the truckload as a divorce mediator. But in our case, communication was actually not the issue. We were communicative, loving communication, vulnerable communication was the issue. Both times, I did wonder if our marriage was in trouble. I didn't think it was. And a later check with Billy about that, he confirmed 
But without that check-in and the vulnerable discussion, I wasn't sure. Both times, I chose not to talk with anyone else about my fears. I chose to talk with Billy. Both times. And both times the struggle was not marriage or no marriage. The struggle was about how we live and make big decisions for our family and for each other and for our individual well-being too. Those are not always interests that align. Both times I initiated a mediation. And not just any mediation, but a transformative mediation. But oh, as I sat bedside to Archer the night before our mediation scheduled with Rachel Wall, reading Billy's text over and over, where he said, we need a mediator, was just so strange to me. It was so strange to me that Billy had texted that. You see, like I told you, it's I who initiated the mediations before. But there was something about the mediation this time not being initiated by me, but by Billy. Had me off balance. What was that about? I was so distracted by that. I didn't know why. Am I a control freak? Maybe, maybe not. But before I had called on the process because I knew we had a lot to get through and we were in bad shape. But my intentions were to talk it through with a little help. I guess I didn't know what Billy's intentions were this time. It was just so unusual for him to initiate a meeting like this. I mean, Billy initiates a lot of things, but I'm the initiator of emotional talk. Billy's very private. And he told me to get anybody I wanted as a mediator, it just didn't make sense to me. The thought flashed in my mind more than a few times. Did Billy think he and I were in such a dark place that we needed a mediator and he had something dark to tell me? So he told me to get whomever I wanted? Was there something I could not see? What I was really haunted by was the feeling I had when he said, we need a mediator. I mean, the flash feeling all over my body, like being dunked into an ice cold pool and then being totally lit up. I knew those fibers of heat in my body were telling me something. I didn't know what though. Were they warning signs? I didn't know. They were definitely something. I was so confused. 
But there was also something about the sensations that was oddly familiar. I mean, it was not ordinary. But had I felt it before? Where? I logged it away. I just didn't have time to think about it too much more. We were juggling so many things, so many unknowns in this ICU as I watched Archer on his breathing machines. Oh, please, Lord, we don't have any time for this. We don't have time for conflict. We didn't have time for anything to go wrong in our marriage. Do you have any idea how much time and energy and money conflict takes? A lot. And I knew this in spades as a mediator. Hmm, maybe that is why I felt it was like a bucket of cold water thrown at me. Wake up. Danger. Danger zone. Is that what this was about? But why did I feel so on fire right after that? I don't know. Oh, Archer, honey, I promise. No matter what happens, we will not let you down. My mind was suddenly flooded with the past. I don't know how much time went by as I watched the slow droplets fall in Archer's chest tubes. But I let my mind wander to those two earlier mediation events. <laughs> I laugh. Mediator, heal thyself, you know? Well, I won't go into too many details. The first time Billy and I used a mediator, we were in the midst of a home renovation. <laughs> Another upside down period of chaos, but a totally different kind of stress as it had a contracted end. And that end was exciting. A new kitchen in a very old house. And we had just found out I was pregnant. It's actually a funny story for another day. <laughs> I mean, it is funny. I mean, you know, there we were, family of six at the time, mom, dad, and four kids, ages three to 10, living in one room, no kitchen, one bathroom. And that one room, was a bedroom into which we were all crammed for months, sleeping in bunk beds. <laughs> yeah, that makes me smile too. But it's also painful since just a few months later and a renovated house, Billy and I found ourselves so out of alignment. We had ripped out the guts of our old house to renew it, restore it back to its original beauty with replaced electrical wiring and water pipes. Not very sexy, but very important. And we had a new kitchen. But it was like the renewal didn't include the most important part of the renovation, the inhabitants. I'd say to any couple, honestly, major home renovations, beware. 
I've done my share of divorce mediations over the years and major house renovations have been in the background more than a number of times. Honestly, they can break you in more ways than you realize. But I never thought that would happen to us. Now, I have long thought that there is something spiritual or metaphysical about a house energetically. And for sure, a house renovation stirs that up. Like the temple and the body, you know, gain a clean out. So I sat bedside to Archer and I realized I was daydreaming more about this long ago time. And the way I felt about it was that it really wasn't that Billy and I were being broken by the rehab. Yes, it was stressful. But like I said, we were looking forward to it. We couldn't wait. And Billy and I like building things together. And the kids, they actually all liked being crammed together in the same room for months. They did. And Billy and I hadn't minded the messiness of it all either when we knew it was part of the rehab project and would have a good end. We really didn't. It was about something else. Why were we like two monkeys wrapped around a pole? It started in the fall and was getting worse and worse as my belly grew larger and larger. It might not sound like a big deal, but it was for me. We had these four beautiful, awesome little children whom we adored. We were both very involved in their lives. We were working really hard at our family business. And while it was a little nutty most of the time, actually, I think we both loved our life. It felt like a partnership if there ever was one. At least I thought so. I thought we were thriving in the intensity and the chaos. Or maybe I was. I don't know. No, I think... I think Billy was too. I don't know. He'd have to tell you. Our mediation company was starting to do very well. Billy had been saying for years, though, that one of us should stay home. And then something crept in. Something rotten. I can't describe it exactly. Except... I don't know. I was trying to think of a good analogy like that time when we had invited a lot of people over and I had this beautiful steak marinade. I'd been marinating it for a couple of days for this wonderful dinner I was about to make along with other delicious vegetables. And I pulled it all out to cook. The guests were all there. And I opened it. And it smelled foul. <laughs> it spoiled. I can't explain it any other way as that with the way I felt. It was all so great, wonderful, planned, and then spoiled. Billy's and my banter, 
then turned to bickering, and then turned to ignoring. And that felt really rotten. When we talked, Billy was getting more and more adamant that one parent needed to stay home full time with our family. Billy has always felt I should stay home ever since we started our family. And we had done our best over the years to take turns, work and kids, since I loved being home with the kids. But I also loved working. That was the unresolved conflict. We had exhausting conversations. It was hard. But that September, it reared its head again out of nowhere. And by October, he put his foot down. It's got to be one of the other of us, Louise, he said. You decide. And so after months of, like I said, monkeys around the pole talking about it, I announced that I would stay home. He could run the business. I had thought a lot about it. I even began to fantasize about how amazing it would be to stay home as a mom full time. But it raised old issues for us of why I hadn't stayed home many years ago. And Billy told me I would be miserable. I wouldn't have been miserable. But the real practical problem was, as Billy pointed out to me on so many occasions, Baltimore mediation needed both of us then. I was the founder and CEO. You know, ideas, clients, quality control. He was operations. He was our CFO, our COO, and our IT. He said without me, there would be no company because I was the front of the house, he used to say. But I would say without him, there would be no company as he was the back of the house. So you might say, what's the dilemma? Well, neither one of us could stay home with our children. We were years into running and managing a family business that supported our family. So to have one of us stay home was a moment of crisis. It really was. And it was not really a marital crisis. I mean, it was. But it was more crisis for our family as we both felt what our family should look like. And it was definitely a crisis for our company. You might be part of a family operation yourself. And if you are, you know that family businesses survive because the family members give 24-7, wearing all kinds of hats to make it all run. I wanted my partner with me, both at home and at work. But that is not the page Billy was on. But you know, as I think about it now, looking back, it's like there was something in the air that was unearthing, not just that old issue of ours, but it seemed to be unearthing 
an old wound. More like unresolved anger of a past decision? Or was it regret? Or was it loss? I'm not sure. We had been clipping along just fine for a number of years. And then that fall. But it's true. Years ago, Billy had really wanted me to stay home when we started a family. But I had wanted to work. I thought I could do both. I thought we could do both. It was so discombobulating to me because Billy and I are both whole family-oriented people. I mean, we work together and our work is good and it's good for our family. Neither of us, since we made our wedding vows, has put our own interests before our family. Or so I thought. Did Billy think maybe I was doing that? It came so easy for both of us to have the whole family as our goal and our faith was a big part of that too. We talked about it and it was just so natural to feel that way. Beginning when we talked about us, our family of two. Then we were a family of three. And then we had a growing family of seven. But the only way I can describe it is that even though we were both so family oriented, perhaps it's more accurate to say because we are both so family oriented, we were in the conflict that we were in. We wanted to be all that we could be for our family. And we wanted what was best for our children in their best interests. But we had different ideas of what that best was and how to go about it. That's what was so complicated. It's like both of us believing in democracy, united for the people, by the people, but being so tangled up in what that looked like that we were becoming divided. Sounds familiar, huh? Yeah. The irony was too much to bear. These are the kinds of issues that can divide not just a country, but a family too. We were not ourselves. It was as if something larger than we were was at play because we had been doing just fine. I felt like there was something else, but I couldn't describe it any more than that at that time. Did I tell you what month and year it was? It was happening in September 2001, 9-11. You remember 9-11. Who can forget it, right? I think 9-11 really affected both of us at our core. I can say that now as I look back 
And as I have been so interested in trauma and trauma healing, but I only just started putting it together the night in Archer's hospital room when I felt so lit up. Yeah, all these years later, I sat quietly bedside to Archer thinking about these things in our past. I also realize now that an awareness was not something Billy or I could have made sense of then because we were in it then. And like every other American, we were in the collective trauma experience of the event itself and all the unfolding after those three horrific 9-11 explosions. We really had no idea how much it was impacting us, but it was. As I daydreamed back on it, I think we both had an instinct, a very raw, primitive instinct to cling desperately to what we loved, our babies, our family. I remember driving like a maniac to the children's preschool and grade school to collect them on that day. I remember ringing the school doorbell like a crazy woman determined to get my children. It had just happened and no one knew what was going on. I knew I wanted my children with us. And I really think that is what was almost pounding Billy and me from the outside and creating an internal pressure on us and our family. He wanted to protect his children too. And so he wanted me home with them. <laughs> Context. Context matters, you know. And primitive instinct or not, the problem for us was that the other side of desperately clinging to our children for survival was that one of us had to go out and be the hunter and earn the income for our growing family or go work for someone else. Oh, the irony was incredible. As we each grasped, for our version of stability and security, again, with the intention that it was best for our family, we were unintentionally driving a wedge between us. We were, and we knew it. But it was like we didn't know how to get rid of that drive for survival and protect our children. That primitive drive that's so worthy, but was driving us apart. Has that ever happened in your marriage or your most intimate relationship? I think it's actually part of the drive that makes custody battles so bitter. Well, Billy and I had never been in a conflict like that. It was different. I was also haunted by a niggling worry about how this 
difference of opinion, so to speak, was impacting my baby growing bigger in my belly. Over the years, Billy and I thrived on each other's different points of view because they always made our ideas and what we decided to do stronger. Our family benefited and thrived on that too. But we didn't benefit or thrive on differences that drove us apart. Do you? No. No one does if they're healthy or care about others. Family conversations about differences of opinions can be so rich, especially if you know how to listen to each other and do your best to hold the other's well-being as a goal, no matter what the differences. It can be tricky, though, to not get so heated or so direct that the differences drive you apart or shut you down or make it very difficult to work together. Keep your eye on the big picture, I reminded myself. We love each other. We are family. So after a while, it was a very natural thing for me to suggest to Billy that he and I work with the mediator. <laughs> but it actually was not a regular thought like, hmm, we have a complicated issue we've been chewing on for a while now. It's been a couple months. Let's call upon a mediator. No, it was not like that. I had said that to thousands of people, though, over the years who called Baltimore Mediation, but it did not come as a thought to me at that time. That's another aspect of the conflict experience. You don't think as clearly or as expansively as you do when you're not in the conflict. You don't. And I can explain why that is so another time related to brain science. The more I understand about the body and science and the brain, the more I believe in grace. There is no other way to explain how certain ideas and feelings just come over you. And you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a whisper of the divine. I truly think it is. And that is what happened. I mean, it wasn't easy. Okay, this is what happened. I'll never forget the day. In my desperation at that time, I was praying to do the right thing. And I was praying hard. <laughs> Back then, I thought if I prayed hard, it was a stronger prayer. I was confusing hard with single-pointedness. So I'd like to say I was praying with single-pointedness. Help me, Lord, not impact my baby in a way that is harmful. Help me, Lord. And I had an idea. And it was the kind of idea that felt so brand new and so amazing that right then and there, I smiled like it was so obvious. 
Like, why didn't I think of that before? Yep. You know what I'm talking about. Like a little angel came, whispered in my ear and gave me a clue in the form of a brand new thought. <laughs> and I remember feeling filled with hope. You might be able to resonate when that has happened to you. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me when I was a little girl, my mom used to give me a quarter a week for my allowance. And one day while walking to school, I spotted a $20 bill in the alley. I thought I had become a millionaire. It was that kind of a feeling. The idea to mediate seemed like a gift from an angel, as if it came out of nowhere right on my path when I least expected it, and I felt hopeful. <laughs> oh, yes, I so remember that feeling. And I remember the next line of thinking, we didn't just need a mediator. No, we needed a transformative mediator. Someone who was trained to sit with us in our fire to help facilitate our dialogue while we figured it out. And we needed privacy and someone trained to really not judge us if we were to get at the truth and be very real. Yes, that is what a transformative mediator does. They're not like other mediators. <laughs> it was like Eureka. And so the best transformative mediators I knew, they were on my own team. <sighs> so I prayed about it some more and I slept on it. I then talked with Billy about it. And when he said yes, quite easily, actually, I made a confidential call to one of my senior mediators, Nancy Good, to help us. Now, Nancy had been on our team for 17 years at the time. It was an incredible leap of faith for her to say yes to be our mediator. And she did. Yep, we had to square away some of the confidentiality issues and a couple other preliminaries I wanted to address up front with her about you know, her relationship with both of us, as I not only worked with her, she was like a sister to me. And we wanted to talk about repercussions, no repercussions. Billy and I both trusted Nancy and we knew, she knew the relational skill set, And we knew she loved us both. Nevertheless, it was a leap of trust for all three of us. Can you imagine if you were walking in her shoes? But you know something else? As I watched Archer's monitors and all the heart waves and the beating pulses and the blood pressure numbers constantly blinking as the cuff on his arm expanded every few minutes and then let out its contraction, I was watching, but I was also thinking so much about the past and our past mediation. 
I had never before put the connection together between our craziness and 9-11. It just came at a time when our house was so torn up. Okay, yes, but it was 9-11 that unseated us so much more than we realized. And we had to work our way through that. And it took time to heal. And we were not the same. I marveled at how I was just getting that fact for the first time all these years later. Yes. And then it hit me. Are we in another one of those times that I can't see to make sense of it because we are in it? I really did. The thought that came was to document everything, write everything down. It was such a clear thought that I had sitting next to Archer on day seven. It had been hours that I had been thinking about the past and hours that Archer was resting. And what was that fiery feeling about? For me to pay attention to my own thoughts, triggered by Billy's text? Was the flash of heat about healing? You know, people process their grief in different ways. I felt I had another whisper for how to process mine. There is certainly more than one right way to work through a major change, a major loss, and your narrative life story. Maybe writing was going to help me. Billy is more private than I am, and that is okay. We all have matters that are private. Those are good boundaries. But I did begin to take note of the raw reality of life in the hospital. And at that moment, it seemed like it wasn't just a moment. We had been there a long time. My mind kept taking me back to that long ago mediation. I mean, there we were on the heels of a stressful home renovation, but also in the shadow of the 9-11 traumatic event we shall never forget. And it was the first time I had used my own mediation process. Of course, I use a relational skill set every day as a lifestyle choice. But I had never called upon a mediator professionally to help myself. I still marveled a little bit about that. It is a way to get clear with someone, with the help of someone else who knows how to be proactive about decision making 
without steering you to the decisions or outcome they want you to make. Well, if you're a highly linear thinker, that might give you some trouble initially. But once you see it, you too can experience the relief of believing in others and not having to carry the burdens, but rather to walk with them. Yes, helping them to figure things out together. There is still a structure that the mediator follows for dialogue process and decision-making itself. It's circular and it recycles itself, getting clearer and sharper and more expansive every time. The container for this dialogue comes from the mediator's presence and skill set that allows greater self-regulation of the participants themselves as the mediator reflects and follows them. It might surprise you to know that. It might not surprise you that Billy and I had real breakthroughs right there at our own dining room table. We did with the help of our transformative mediator. Oh, the blessings of working with a trained neutral who believes in your capacity. And even though by background, Nancy Good is a licensed clinical social worker, Nancy was not in the role of therapist or counselor or marriage counselor or even friend. And just like Rachel Wall for our then upcoming mediation the next day, was by background a lawyer. She was not in the role of advocating, advising, or even friend. They were both asked to be in the role of mediator. They were neutral, or as I have said for many years in our trainings, they were multi-partial and they were proactively focused on opportunities for us to engage and get clear. Truth is, Billy and I had the capacity in us all along. But the other truth is, in conflict, that kind of conflict, and especially the kind that is being impacted by something really large, like trauma, we couldn't do it on our own. Oh, you might say, sure, you could have. Maybe. That's why the skills are so great. But this one was big. And even if we did have the capacity in us to do it ourselves, that's not what it felt like for us. We needed someone to hold the space for us to have the sticky conversations, to face the real conflict, to hear it in a more discerned forum, to get underneath the real conflict if we so chose in a way that wasn't going around in circles, but that was much more vulnerable and strong to experience breakthroughs.
And that is what we did. I looked around the hospital room. Oh my gosh. I had been so lost in thinking about that earlier mediation experience. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I looked at Archer. I realized how late it was as I continued to watch him sleep. They had come in to turn him twice. I got up to close the blinds and turn off the lights as it was dark outside. His room was still relatively bright, though, with all the various lights of the buttons and switches on all the monitors and all the other machinery keeping him alive. I wondered if I could cover up some of those lights on the machine so he wouldn't wake up. I marveled at how he slept at all with all the beeps and loud sounds and little monitor lights of all colors piercing the grayness of the room. I thought about our family. Big families teach you so much. I guess one of them is how to sleep through a lot of noise. My mind wandered to Billy and me again. I think big families also teach you that you are not the center of the universe. Teamwork and compromise are necessary. And another little blessing of a big family is you learn to be resilient because there is by nature a little chaos because there are different points of view in a big family. So you learn how to roll with the punches and go with the flow and speak up if you want to be heard. I watched Archer. I thought about him as a little boy. And how back then when Nancy was our mediator, he was only three years old. And we were a team, our whole family. I remember feeling lighter. I thought Billy and I were in really bad shape all those years ago. And maybe we were. But we were so strengthened by facing those hard decisions together. And you know, I remember something that was so precious to me about our mediation. While we were making tons of decisions, the real breakthrough was not related to anything we were talking about. Billy turned to me and said that he would never run our household and shepherd the children as well as I do. I remember being stunned. It wasn't flattery. It was genuine. It really moved me. The acknowledgement of something so important to me had a real effect. It softened me. It opened me up. We would do whatever it took to have someone around at home at all times, a parent. We took a hard look at our company and what we both needed to take Baltimore Mediation to the next level and to be there 
for our kids. That is what we found through our mediation process. It was tender. I had married the right guy. I had had a pretty good amount of worry every time I did leave to do a keynote or a training gig when Billy also had an out-of-state mediation. He was right. It was an undercurrent every moment I was away. I imagine it is for many working moms. But 9-11 exaggerated that anxiety for both of us. So we hit the nail on the head in our mediation discussion in a way he had never said before. Or maybe he had said it before, but I heard it in a different way. Our dialogue, facilitated by a neutral, reflecting us and what we had said to each other, who had no stake in getting us to agree, but every stake in actively fostering our understanding of each other and enhancing the quality of our perspective taking, allowed us to make many informed decisions and to move through and to move forward. It was exactly what we needed. The impact of 9-11 on us was very real. It was probably real for you as well. Have you ever thought about that? Years later is a wonderful time to reflect back and make sense of previous crazy times because you're not in the crazy when you do so. For Billy and me, back in 2001, it was not just two professionals with a growing family. There was a backdrop. 9-11 was all around us. 9-11 was informing us. 9-11 was creating stress in our marriage. 9-11 was also what brought us home to what was most important. And in the upside, we took a pause and recommitted to family, safety, and security. And with those basic human needs reestablished, we also were then able to explore what was more vulnerable. And what also emerged unexpectedly from our mediation was a softer, more loving conversation that we had not been able to have before. And as I look back on that, I realize there was enough safety for us to experience our own mutual vulnerability. And that was the beginning of our integration process for understanding and metabolizing the impact of the 9-11 collective trauma on us. 
I remember Billy and I talked about our fear of having another child. I was in my 40s. It was taking a lot of faith to believe God only gives you that which you can handle, right? We had been so blessed with four loving children. We needed to take great care and not taking anything for granted as we welcomed number five. And we got clear about that welcome too. Whatever little five was going to be, he or she was so highly welcomed into our equation. We prayed for good health, but you never know. It's amazing the faith journey every pregnancy is. What a day. Oh, Billy and I had our nightly changing of the guard, and I was driving back to Cape May, headed down the Garden State Parkway. It was late again, around 3 a.m. As I drove, my mind continued its wanderings about the mediation that was about to happen within hours, which I already told you about. I hoped to get a little sleep first once I got home. As I drove, I was daydreaming again. I remembered again our previous work in mediation. And I felt a little more confident about what lay ahead. I did. While I really had no idea where Billy stood on so many issues, I knew my list of topics was very long. And I was reminded that we had capacity. Painful as it was to come face to face with our deficits and our weaknesses and reaching out for help, the right help. We were strengthened. I felt that strength just thinking about it. I wondered where I felt that strength as I scanned my body. I felt it in my arms. As I drove lost in thought, my arms outstretched on the steering wheel. I said to myself, I want to remember this feeling tomorrow. I was so grateful for the prior mediation experiences. Oh, I didn't tell you about the other one. Maybe I will another day. It was another one of our senior mediators, though, on our team, Frank Pugh, a lawyer who courageously agreed to work with us then. Frank is no longer living as it was quite a while ago, and he was then one of our senior statesmen. Thank you, Frank. Another angel now in heaven. Just now, I have another little epiphany. The cold water, the hot fire that I felt. Lords, it was like being at Lords. Remember I told you in earlier episodes about the healing waters in France? You might want to look that up online. Lords, someday I hope to return to that place of miracles. 
twice. Yes, twice when I have been dipped in the ice cold waters of the underground aquifers that are part of the ice melt of the Pyrenees Mountains there. I felt the shock of the cold, but it was the afterwards sensation of the burning fire in my nerves and body that was most remarkable, unforgettable. I mean, it was incredible heat flashing through my body to places of injury. That hot burning feeling was not painful. It was healing. Yes, I have felt that feeling before. I knew it. I wonder if the memory somewhere in my cells was awakened when Billy said, we need a mediator. Maybe. Facilitated dialogue with a witness. Yeah. But it was Billy's initiating that request. That's what feels healing to me. Oh, wow. Okay. In closing, I will tell you that as I continued to drive through the warm darkness in the August night down the desolate highway, I did have something else to smile about. Around midnight or so back in the hospital, one of our favorite nurses had come into Archer's room and handed me a small styrofoam cup. Archer was always so thirsty and we were constantly asking the nurses, can he have some water now? He had not had anything to drink or eat now in seven days. I peered into the cup and there were two little wooden sticks, each about four inches long. And on the end of each was a small, tiny square sponge, frozen, each one no more than an eighth of an inch in diameter. They were like little tiny ice cube lollipops. I had never seen anything like them before. The nurse told us that instead of the corners of the wet washcloth I had been using to press up against the insides of Archer's cheeks to give him some moisture and relief, that I could swab his mouth with one of the sponges. Archer opened his mouth like a little bird, and I ran the square of ice around the insides of his cheeks. The look on his face was like it was the most wonderful substance he had ever tasted in his life. <laughs> Drops of ice-cold melted water from the tiny little lollipops. They were game changers. While she said we were restricted to only one or two, one or two times a day, it was such a gift. Part of healing. We were learning a great deal about patience and time.
And speaking of time, I wanted to let you know that in a couple of episodes from now, we'll be taking a break and then coming back with the next season and picking up with Archer's story right where we left off. Please make sure you stay subscribed to wherever you listen to podcasts. Because although we are wrapping up this season, we will be releasing some special interviews you don't want to miss. We will then be back later this spring with the next season. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. So let's take in a breath and smile wherever you are. Oh, thank you, dear Lord, for kind nurses and ice cube lollipops and ice cold water and heat. And please continue to guide Billy and me. Please guide all parents who call upon you for help and assistance. You are always there. Help us remember that. And help us recall the good memories of days past that can sustain us for more difficult days ahead. Help us not forget the past, but allow the past to inform us the good, the bad, and the painful. The past holds the potential of transformation and healing if we face it. Right, Lord? Help us act in ways to understand how you use the past that we created to guide us towards the light with new insight, renewed love, forgiveness, renewed hope. Let us be carried by your knowing. No rush, all in time. Healing, it takes time. We know that, Lord. Help us be patient. We have time when we live in your time. And lastly, Lord, for today, help us remember that our past is our now and that our choices for how we live our now can heal our past. The highest and best good is possible in time. God's time. Your time. Amen. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. You may continue listening to the learnings that go with this story. At episode 30, The Painful Past Informs Us, Trauma Healing Learnings. Thank you for listening. As together, 
we are raising the vibration for healing. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide. Public certificated trainings are held annually in June, October, December, and January. You can learn more at BaltimoreMediation.com. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Please subscribe via email on our site, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. 